You're listening to Sustainably Geeky, the podcast for everyday environmentalists. Hi, and welcome to Sustainably Geeky, episode 19. Today, we're going to be talking about the circular economy, and we have a special guest with us, Nellie Cohen. Um, and we also have our regulars, Jen and Chris, back with us this month. So, everybody say hi. Hello. Hello. So I'm going to give you a real quick uh, intro to our guest speaker today. Um, Nellie is the founder of Baleen, which helps brands create innovative ways to become stewards of the natural resources uh-huh. that they rely on to exist. And importantly, to their powerful voices to influence human behavior and shape the way we treat our planet. She spent nearly a decade practicing that, this at Patagonia, where she built and managed the award-winning program Warnware. She is a mom and wife, loves surfing and skiing and cooking. Nellie holds bachelor's degrees in environmental systems from UC San Diego and a master's degree in biological oceanography from Scripps Institution of Oceanography. So welcome, Nellie, and thank you for uh, being on our show after I, I just randomly reached out to you via email one day. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, you and how you kind of got into this field. Um, I'm interested especially to hear about Patagonia's Worn Wear program. I've, I've heard a lot about it. It sounds really exciting. Yeah. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you for having me. Um, super fun. Yeah. Um, so I I got into sustainability sort of circuitously. Um, I suppose when I was um, finishing school, there were there weren't as many corporate responsibility programs as there are today. So my path was a little indirect. I had originally thought that I was going to stay in academia and I was studying um, sperm whale interactions with fishing vessels in the Gulf of Alaska and um, was working for NOAA at the time and thought I'd stay in the marine world. Um, But I was also working in the outdoor industry to supplement my illustrious researching career highly paid researching career since <laughs> young undergraduate. And um, I also had really enjoyed that. So when I finished my master's degree, it was uh, sort of the, the beginning of the recession. And um, the, there really weren't a lot of options out there. And I actually wound up working at Patagonia in um, the retail store attached to headquarters. And I did that, I think, for about like a year or so. And I landed an internship in the environmental department there. Um, and kind of, from there, like, things just really happened naturally from that point forward. Um, and when I came into the environmental department full time, it was uh, around the time that Patagonia had put out the Don't Buy This Jacket ad in the New York Times on Black Friday, which... Um, I know a lot of people in sustainability circles may recall, but it was the, the big headline that said, don't buy this jacket. Um, and then it gave a bunch of reasons why, which is essentially like, if you need a really good jacket, great. We would love to sell it to you. But if you don't need it, don't buy it because there's no way that all the resources that go into creating this product um, will ever give back more than they take. And uh, that led me to to kind of being a project manager on what was then called Common Threads and then over the years matriculated into Warnware, which if you haven't heard of it, um, for people listening, it's a program for repairing, buying back, and reselling 
use Patagonia clothing. And also, most importantly, really um, celebrating the stories of people with their Patagonia clothing clothing via video and uh, Instagram mainly in sort of an effort to change this idea of people as consumers of stuff and towards becoming owners of stuff, that empowered ownership where um, you're able to repair the things you own and um, be happy with what you have. Yeah. It's interesting that um, today, you know, the, mindset of businesses seems to be um, planned obsolescence. Let's make it as minimally, you know, as possible in a lot of cases, but knowing that they're going to have to replace it, such as, you know, these are phones every two years or whatever, because they're going to slow down, they're going to break. But Patagonia is actually kind of always done the opposite. It seems like they say, you know, don't buy our stuff. We want you to use it as long as you can. And then if you absolutely can't use it anymore, um, you know, we're going to buy it back or we're going to have a lifetime warranty on it or whatever. Um, that's just highly unusual in today's world and something that's kind of refreshing, I think. And they're really setting, I think, the, the standard for being leaders in the circular economy. Um, is, think, has that yeah. kind of always been the case or was that kind of an evolution in, in that company, you think? Um, I mean, I think for Patagonia and, you know, I can't I can't speak to it as an employee today. But certainly the the founding principles have always been about making the best product. Uh, and the reality is that why own your, you know, some of the design ethos um, published in Let My People Go Surfing talks about, you know, why own four jackets or five jackets or three jackets when one will do the job of three, four or five. Uh, so that idea that you can create like multifaceted gear uh, for different different purposes and and then own less and I I'm th- I'm really glad that you brought up the issue of planned obsolescence because it's um it's super frustrating <laughs> to be honest yes. you know and and the phone is such a good example especially now is I think we're seeing and I'm not a phone technology expert but my understanding is we're seeing this tapering off of new advances in phones like the I, I read something or heard something recently where like the biggest upgrades in iPhones lately are just the camera the cameras are getting you know definitely better um but the actual phone technology isn't changing that much so you're upgrading people for a camera and I think that's a great point to talk about you know companies like fair who's fair phone where all the the phone um features are interchangeable and upgradable. So rather than replacing an entire phone, you can just replace the camera. And then the resulting savings is like all those resources that go into making um, that phone, they call it like the ecological backpack or something, you know, like all the, the, basically all the baggage that comes along with making things Mm -hmm. um, is eliminated because you're only, you know, replacing that one thing. And, um, I was really introduced to a lot of these concepts through working at Warnware um, in a partnership that we have with iFixit, or it still exists today. They have a partnership with iFixit, which is a company out of San Luis Obispo that um, their goal is basically to have a repair manual for everything in the world. And they, they've started with Apple products. Um, and it's, it's super interesting to watch their evolution and how, angry Apple gets at them for helping people <laughs> fix things. And that, 
you know, I'm sitting here, you know, kind of boohooing Apple, but uh, I have three Apple products in front of me. So <laughs> I'll just say that. Sorry. I mean, I'm still giving Apple plenty of money. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think empowering people doesn't, and the thing is like, plan obsolescence, right, is supposed to drive consumerism. If it breaks and the company does not let you fix it, you have to buy a new one. But, and I think we'll get into this in the show, the whole point of the circular model, circular economy is to break away and diversify our businesses and move away from just that linear thinking into a circular model whereby servicing becomes existing products can also become profitable. Yeah. Too. I think it's really encouraging this movement of DIY and fixing things that, that's kind of emerged over the last few years. Um, a lot of times it's because people want to be crafty or they just want to get you have a creative outlet, but um, it also obviously serves that purpose of um, helping, you know, kind of stimulate this creative economy and keep things out of the landfill and, you know, in use longer. So um, why don't we jump in then and, and can you give our listeners kind of a quick rundown of what is uh, circular economy? What does that mean? Yeah, that's a good place to start. Good call. Um, so I think the, <clears throat> the most important definition or part of the definition of the circular economy is that it breaks apart natural res- resource extraction and waste creation from economic growth. So, and the fancy way of saying that is decouples, which I, for some reason I think is a really complicated word to use. But yeah, it decouples natural resource extraction and waste creation from economic growth. Um, and so kind of the three ways that I, I like to think about the circular economy being implemented. And, and most of my thinking is really influenced by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, which if people are interested after this podcast should definitely check out their website. Um, but the idea is that your the circular economy is not only circular in the way that the, the products move around, but it's circular in thinking. So you actually think before you make a product, you think about how am I going to design out the waste and pollution that this product causes? How how can I design it so that it can stay in use as long as possible or when it's time to when you know, its first use is, is done, how can it be broken apart into components that can then be recycled um, or reused? So again, this like really circular thinking mm-hmm. idea. And then ultimately, <clears throat> the way everything is made should regenerate natural systems rather than exploiting them. So the, the current um, model that we have is like a linear model, right? Like it's a, it's a straight line versus a circle. And we... The way I always think of it, tell me if this is incorrect, is we we consume or we make a product, we consume it, we throw it away. Exactly. And that's kind of the life of the product. With a circular economy, you kind of start with the end in mind and you you think about how am I going to dispose of it before I make it, before I buy it. Is exactly. That yeah. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a question. Like most of the listeners are probably consumers. And so are there websites or places people can go to find where these products exist in the marketplace because it takes up a lot of time for people to do the research, right? To like understand, oh, this pencil isn't some sort of circular economy versus some that isn't. I mean, I'm just curious if that exists in the world somewhere. 
so people yeah. are more informed consumers. That's a good, I mean, that's, that's a really good question. Maybe somebody wants to like make a, um, you know, like a, an e-commerce site that just sells products with, with sort of circular systems. We need attached. like, we need like the Angie's list for circular <laughs> So I, here's what I would suggest. I think like, um, one of the most accessible places of information um, if you're in the market for whatever product it is, is to look on the company's website and determine if like how they stand by their products, you know, do they have like that lifetime guarantee? Do they have any repair services? Um, do they have a buyback program? It's surprising how many companies actually do. Um, and sometimes it's just not called like our circular economy sustainability program, because that's not every company's branding. Like, um, I came across one the other day talking with somebody, GameStop, like the video game store. Mm-hmm. You can trade in your video games there. Oh, yeah. And your video game consoles and any kind of my gamers in the family. And we trade in everything that's that they don't want to play anymore, that we're getting an upgrade or whatever. There. Yeah. So does Quinn, my son. He lives there, too. <laughs> it's so great. there you go. Right? Yeah. Yeah, like, and, and that's, that's interesting because like, I would have never GameStop's like shouting from the rooftop. Um, <laughs> I would have never thought that that's a that's a circular economy thing. But you're right, you're you're giving things more life. You're providing consumer a cheaper product, and yeah, it's kind of a win-win. Yeah, that's like I think that's like the base level, and hopefully, and it's like a little bit more time, you know, to look things up or whatever. But and, you know, maybe it starts with like bigger purchases. But that's gonna be the big indicator there. Um, and then I think, um, this one is more like personal too, but you can also shop for things that you feel like are, are more timeless. So, you know, buying things that are super on trend, you know, that are going to be hot for a minute because some celebrity is using it. Like that's probably not going to have the same shelf life as something more classic. Um, you know, whether that's clothes or furniture or yeah cars or whatever you you see that a lot um with the minimalist mindset right it's just buy barely what you need use it you know until you can't anymore but everything's multifunction and um yeah chris and her family kind of live a a a minimalist lifestyle to a certain extent you guys are you know a growing family but yeah (laughs) but um you know small house small footprint and and everything kind of has multiple uses it's really neat um but it's a hard shift to make, you know, if you've grown up in the consumer economy that we have where totally just buy, buy, buy everything you, in the moment. And I think like it's it's it you it is how you're raised too and what you're used to using and like how foreign things feel. I'm always I have this whole like I love the doggo. Um plastic I feel like plastic bag ecosystem in my house. <laughs> reusing all the plastic bags. Now, I don't think anybody understands my ecosystem, but um, <laughs> there's some that like get saved for like the vegetables that come out of the garden and then some that have to go back to target and get dropped off to be recycled and um, stuff like that. So, so yeah, it, it, but you know, if I always, another like sort of easy thing to think about too, is like, <clears throat> are you using something and throwing it away versus um, using something that could be washed or repaired, you know, like, mm-hmm. and the simple things like a sponge versus paper towel. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I mean, that get, you can start getting into life cycle assessment of footprints and arguing while well, sponges take more energy and stuff to make like that. So I, I it can be yeah. really complicated, but I, I think in general, avoiding disposable um, um, products. While there may not be a specific site that outlines like, you know, here's all the places you can go that are circular. Um, there, there are some sites that help you recycle hard to or dispose of hard to recycle things like TerraCycle, yeah. um, Earth 911 lets you look up how to re- where to recycle things by zip code. Um, but are there any like certifications people can look for that show that this was sourced sustainably, that you can dispose of it a certain way? I know there's like a recycling symbol or compostable symbol, but are there any others that stand out to you that people can look for when they're shopping? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up TerraCycle because they're, they're awesome. Um, the, there's another um, label that is increasingly seen it more prominently. It's the How to Recycle label. Um, I forget who's managing its implementation now, but it's it essentially uses a couple insignias and logos to help people understand how to recycle um, stuff, which is great. And then to think what else would be i mean there's certainly there's there's labels like um you know fair like there's all sorts of labels related to the sourcing of materials which is certainly part of the circular economy but a little bit like tangential you know i mean they're labels that help products be that kind of touch on i think that third point of like regenerating natural systems type idea or like you know creating things in a more sustainable way, but there's not a, um, well, okay. I can think of one label, um, that is sort of, it it was kind of before the circular economy became a buzzword, but the cradle to cradle certification, that would be one. So cradle to cradle Institute. Yeah. Can you explain that, uh, term for folks that may not know what it means? I know that's a big kind of buzzword in circular economy. It's kind of like, well, it's exactly, actually, I think you said it really perfectly in your definition, elegant, simple definition of the circular economy, but it's thinking about the end first. So cradle to cradle literally means how a product's made and then used and how it returns back to being, how those same materials can be returned and reused into remaking that product or another product. Awesome. Well, since we're talking about the consumer side of things, I think it's important to point out that circular economy isn't just about business and the people that produce the items, right? It's it's a lot of it's on us. Um, like we have to think through when we buy something, how am I going to dispose of this? Is it recyclable? Is it, you know, going to de- decompose or is it wrapped in like five different kinds of plastic that are really difficult to get apart and you can't recycle it, you know, mix materials or whatever yeah yeah a lot of it a lot of it is on us and I think um the kind of the nice thing about this and I get a little bit frustrated with sustainability efforts that are about buying like more things that are more expensive because I think that makes things inaccessible for a lot of people you know like oh you want an eco-friendly car like you have to buy a Prius or a Tesla or something but when you look like the principles of the circular economy actually let's let's take that question of the car um buy a used car it's already been made 
the impact has already occurred. The manufacturing impact has already occurred. So the best thing you can do with that car is to use it more. You know, it's already out there as opposed to, you know, buying a brand new car that incurred, you know, a bunch more of environmental impacts to be made in the first place. So it's, I kind of joke, like the circular economy is basically how our grandparents lived, sort of depression era people, you know, and you end up saving money, having fewer things of higher quality. Um, there's a quote, like poor people can't afford to buy cheap stuff. Okay? <laughs> when you have to buy four of the same thing because it wasn't well made to begin with, it ends up costing you more than saving, you know, saving a little bit each month to get that thing that says better made and better made by a company who will stand by it and, and replace it for you, you know, at their cost. So, yeah, it I want to echo it. what you were just saying. Like I won't name the shoe company, but they take <laughs> plastic out of the ocean. And so you're thinking like, Oh, this is a really good thing. I want to support, you know, this company and what they're doing, but you know, their shoes are like over a hundred dollars. <laughs> just Like, is this really, you know, the best thing that we're trying to promote here is, you know, reuse stuff, but don't always make it like crazy expensive and people don't have access to it. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it's, um, you know, we were, we were talking about, you were first asking about, you brought up the issue about the, the websites and like, where can people go to shop um, or buy, you know, buy these things. And I probably should have said them getting like, well, there's three websites that, that come to my mind right off the bat. Um, there's, the brands that, um, aside from Patagonia, that are, they're doing their own, um, resale programs. Um, a lot of them are using a service called Yertle Recommerce, which is spelled Y-E-R-D-L-E. And so you can go to yertle.com and that will link you to, um, Patagonia's program, Eileen Fisher's program, um, REI's use here program, Taylor Stitch and, uh, Arcteryx. Uh, so like, that's great there. And then there's also the renewal workshop that um, hosts a ton more, um, more like outdoor brands as well uh, on one website, which is really cool. And then I do think that uh, important player in this space is ThreadUp. And um, for people who are just like, you know, maybe looking like at Warnware or, or REIZ's gear or whatever and still saying like, gosh, well, this is still expensive, you know, even if it is used. Um, Thread Up has done this amazing job, I think, of positioning themselves as an affordable online thrift store. And it's, it's, I love that they're, <clears throat> they really stick to their guns about their approach to this is like, this should be access for all. Like, you shouldn't have to be a millionaire to live a sustainable lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And they're really committed to keeping their, their prices low. Um, and I really enjoy shopping on their site, actually. I think it's really easy to use. And as a mom, a young child, I don't have the same time I used to have to, like, dig through a thrift store yeah. uh, racks. Even though I actually really enjoy that, I just don't. And now I can dig through racks online. Yeah. I do like I, – I haven't bought anything yet from ThreadUp. But I do like that they show you – um, what it would sell for at a retail store brand new, and then they slash it out and then tell you what their price is. So you do see how much you're actually saving. So if you want to get that Patagonia fleece or whatever it is, and you're like, oh, it's Patagonia, but it's 30 bucks. So yeah, that's not bad. And I like how their website's set up. 
I know they have really, like, I don't know, I buy, like, a lot of, um, I really like Madewell and, like, Anthropology and stuff, and mm-hmm. they have, um, and Lululemon, like, they have a lot and of really nice stuff. Yeah, they have everything. Lots of nice stuff. And then when they put, like, Rare Fine, because it's, like, something designer, like, haute couture designer, and you're like, oh, yeah. yeah. What's yeah. that about? Yeah. So it's, you can, yeah, you, I, like, I just started in the last couple of years thrift shopping. My kids, I'm not sure how old you're um child is but mine are I can take them along with me and I'm trying oh, to show nice. my daughter how to how to thrift shop sometimes she <laughs> makes a face at me like mom what 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 is it already in the waste stream <laughs> it's already you here you never know what you're gonna find no look no. at this it's treasure hunt. it's yeah. five bucks my yeah. child is two so oh, he okay. grabbing something and running out the front door oh. well I run out the front door after him. It's like a fun game. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't set the alarm off. No, In that. that. But yeah, I remember those days. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a question about, did Patagonia um, ever address like the return on investment for their program? Like did, cause a lot of companies avoid it. I think cause there's this, you know, misunderstanding that, it costs more for the company to do these types of programs. So did you ever look at the numbers behind that, or do you want to talk to that at all? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. Um, so Warnware has always been, always been revenue generating for the company. Um, and that was really, that was a really important decision that we made very early on, actually when it was still common threads. Um, we were really inspired by Eileen Fisher's program, which at the time was called Green Eileen. Today it's called uh, Renewed, I think. Um, but Green Eileen had this very cool model of, you know, taking things back from customers for a pretty nominal gift card um, and then reselling them and donating the proceeds to programs for women and girls. And they were doing it all in brick and mortar in New York and Seattle. And the stores were gorgeous and like really really cool i know like a lot of people are like what is eileen fisher and like, well it's like probably stuff your mom or your grandma wears but actually eileen fisher materials are absolutely outstanding and um you can pick and choose and wear it well before the age of 60 um i'd highly highly recommend taking a second look uh <clears throat> so but they were doing that sort of as this philanthropic model and we felt at Patagonia that we wanted to make a business case with Warnware. We wanted to say, look, we we want to build this thing um, not as a as a giveaway program and not as a cost center, which oftentimes sustainability programs can be, at least initially, until perhaps the you know savings from implementing a new technology pays off in one, two, five, ten years, whatever you know, whatever that. Um, whenever that ROI kind of kind of hits. And so with Warnware, we made sure it was profitable from day one. Wow. Yeah. So do, do you know if um, your if that program has inspired um, other companies to kind of do something similar? Since I would imagine, you know, other people are looking at that saying, well, if they can do it, we can do it. Yeah, I think certainly um, you're seeing so much um, action in the outdoor space, the outdoor industry space, like REI launching, North Face, uh, Arcteryx. Um, I'm sure I'm probably forgetting somebody in here, but 
But, you know, the outdoor industry has done, I think, a really excellent job of being early adopters of a lot of sustainability initiatives and ideas within uh, the apparel industry. And this seems to be following that pattern. Someone recently lent me their um, copy of the book about Patagonia's business model, and I'm excited to read it and learn more and kind of see how they're, you know, spreading sustainability in the business community and the world a little bit at a time. So, um, what, so you're currently your current position with Baleen, tell us a little bit about that organization and why you decided to start it and what you guys do. Yeah. Um, well I did, I mentioned I have a, a son and, um, I really, for me, like, you know, everybody parents differently, but I wanted to be able to be home more with him and so that that prompted me to, to take a step back um, and launch my own company, um, which I, you know, you, you you start these things and kind of wonder, like, what am I doing? This is the right thing. People think you're crazy. Leave Patagonia and all this stuff. But I can say um, with zero hesitation, like, it's been such a fun transition and new chapter in my career and I'm really enjoying it. I felt like, um, like I love OneWare and absolutely so proud of all the work they did there, but I felt like I also had gotten it to a place where it was good. Um, and it, it, it was years to build it and it was not, um, yes, like Patagonia is definitely known for its innovation and it has led the way in a lot of ways, but it doesn't mean that each one of those things was like an easy sign off you know, each, each thing is, you know, received accolades for, there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears behind all of those. And, um, so I feel really lucky. I'm able to kind of take that, that experience and those learnings from building Warnware and bring it to new companies and new clients. And, um, it's been really fun. So yeah, I think, I mean, my definitely my my wheelhouse and expertise is in building circular economy programs um, that help help brands re, you know get more life out of the products they already own and again create these um, revenue positive um, business models within their companies and my hope is that in doing this um, it just becomes the way that we do business you know it doesn't become like well who like Oh, I wonder who I could buy something from where, you know, I guess they'll, maybe they'll take it back or like, where can I shop used or something? I just think it should be completely second nature to every, any company that's making a consumer good. You should make it well enough that it should last through more than one owner um, and be able to be taken back. And if it's not one owner, then it should be able to be broken down and reused. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's my vision. I don't know if I have enough years on this planet to do this, but yeah, I'm trying. Well, you're making a difference already with <laughs> the programs and the businesses you've been working with. So, um, can you give us any examples of, uh, you know, the the types of programs you've implemented and, and kind of how they work, just so that people can kind of conceptualize, like, how if, if I work at a business, how could I start implementing some of these changes, maybe or yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Nothing that's proprietary, obviously, but right. Just general. Well, I mean, generally, you. So it all starts with the product design, you know, and and that's where you know you have to give credit due. Like, 
the designers at Patagonia build things um, and the product developers and all the product teams work to ensure that products are of the highest quality so that they can be used. Like that's, that's where it has to start. Um, if, if you're going for a circular economy program based like on resale, it, it's not the only route by any means, you know, um, being able to recycle products and break them down is like a, it's a different path and it can also be extremely effective too. Both, no matter either way, you still have to be able to get your products back from your customers. So that's kind of, so step one is like, do we have products that are resellable? Okay. Yes. Great. Take the next, you know, next route, which is how are we going to get these back? And that's where to me, like what I really love about this work is it's not just business. It's not just sustainability. It's not just marketing. It's like we're all three merge um, to engage with customers, which is just, I really like multifaceted, um, like, problem solving I just think it's really interesting and fun um and complicated and messy like how life actually is um and uh yeah so then you have to figure out how to get the products back and then okay well what what needs to happen once they're back you know how do they need to be cleaned um how do they need to be uh checked like safety wise for some products how do we ensure that what we're putting back in the world is not going to be a disappointing experience for people because that would undermine the whole effort. And, and then along all these points is how, you know, you're as a company, you're going to build this thing. And so you should leverage all these opportunities. Uh, I was just talking with a client yesterday about um, a future recycling program, you know, and we were discussing what a great opportunity this is as they're, as they're trying to get their products back for recycling. Um, it's a great point it's a great way to engage with your customers beyond that sales conversation. So, you know, you get to, you get to talk to them about, Hey, you know, send, you know, send your used um, packaging back to us. And it's just a different point that's really valuable to reach out to them and engage, create engagement. Loyalty and an interesting um, relationship versus just a, yeah, that's what I use, but yeah, it's just like any other thing. Yeah. So how do you um, address greenwashing? Because that's something that a lot of companies, um, they'll say they're being more sustainable and they're, you know, they're jumping into the circular economy. Um, And a lot of times consumers, for consumers, it's hard to know kind of, you know, who's telling the truth, who's actually doing what they're saying. They put green font on it, so it must mean that they're, you know, eco-friendly. Well, I mean, I, when I'm advising my clients, I just start with the Federal Trade Commission, FTC's Green Guides Regulations, which if those are followed, um, they really do an excellent job of outlining what is and is not acceptable uh, for greenwashing. And like, I try to, you know, when thinking about circular economy programs, um, I really, really try to make sure that um, companies are doing it for the right reason. And by that, I mean, when you're, when you're trying to get your products back from customers, um, whether for recycling or resale, if you're incentivizing them with more stuff, hmm. that is not going in the right direction, unless it's a consumable, right? Unless it's something that you would buy another thing of, like, um, I don't want to say like toothpaste or something, right? Like 
If you return your toothpaste packaging and they want to give you a free toothpaste, like that's fantastic because hopefully you are going to buy more toothpaste anyways. Um, but if you're returning your jacket, you know, you shouldn't just be given access, you know, given another jacket or, or encouraged to buy a new one. And that's something that's you, that I, that we built with Warnwear and that I really love about the program is that the incentive for, for people to bring their Patagonia stuff back is a gift card, a Patagonia gift card, but it can be used on Warnwear. So while, you know, or you can give it away to somebody else if you want to as a gift, but, um, you know, it's not saying, Oh, just because you brought something back, you have to use this, this, um, gift card on something new. You can actually use it on something used. So I think that's to me in my space in the circular economy, the incentivization conversation is really important that we're having that in a way that's, that's real. That's not creating more, you know, creating the same problem or, or, um, not addressing the problem by just encouraging consumption. Awesome. In your experience, do you feel that incentives are best if it's an item or if it's like just money, like a gift card? I think it depends on where the transaction is happening. Um, so, and I think it's, it can be great to keep things like all digital. You can collect so much, you know, customer information, um, that way when it's all digital. But if you require the transaction to happen in person, I think it's really important to issue an incentive that can be utilized on the spot. Like, you know, if you made the effort to bring something all the way somewhere, like you want to, you guys, like everybody's busy, right? Like if you made the effort to like clean out your closet or like wash something to bring it in, like, and it's accepted, like you, you kind of just want to be done with the whole transaction right then. Um, you don't want to have another barrier of like, now I have to go take this and I can only use it online in this one place on, you know, the second Tuesday of each month and <laughs> that sort of thing. So I think in general, the rule of thumb is just to keep it as like seamless as possible for people. Like anytime we're implementing a sustainability program, the option for a person to participate should be as frictionless as their current, whatever they're currently doing. Like, the recycling bin is next to the trash bin kind of thing, right? It's just you move your hand one inch. Hopefully that's, hopefully that's easy enough for people to, to do. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I was just wondering, like, what people gravitate to more when it comes to incentives. Because we've tried to do a lot of different programs in my career to incentivize doing recycling for example you know what can we give people and we weren't sure if it's best to give out items or money like what what actually encourages Mm. more participation I guess yeah I think it can depend on the customer base um I think there's like there's some thinking around there that sometimes it's not even personal incentive that'll drive people to to um take action you know it doesn't matter if it's a product or a discount um, towards a product, but altruism, like if you can bring something in and it does get donated or, you know, maybe not the item, but you're helping um, the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Turtles. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense if you are able to own the type of item 
that is often incentivized to be brought in, you probably don't need like another item or right. a discount <laughs> or something. So you kind of just want to do it to feel good. So make them feel doubly good kind of thing. Like, yeah, you're doing something good for the planet and <laughs> we're going to make a donation on your behalf or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, before we move on from the consumer um, discussion, um, are you, have you heard about the, I believe it's Procter and Gamble's program that they're setting up to basically allow customers to, um, reuse metal tins and containers and then when they're done they send them back and they get new ones and it's you know it's 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 an effort at circular um consumerism i guess so they're doing it with ice cream and a lot of different you know shampoos and things that they offer yeah and um it's not who is it behind it's not is it is it TerraCycle? no it's somebody i'm not sure i can't remember who um what group is behind it. But yeah, it came out like probably almost a year ago. I think they announced the program. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, do you think a program like that would be effective and cost effective for the the business and effective for the consumer who's used to just ordering online anyways, but then they have that extra step of sending something back and waiting for it to get, you know, received and returned or cleaned or, you know, I think like that's it. It's, it's a good question. Um, so I remember when that came out and I remember thinking like, okay, the impact of making that aluminum container versus like a plastic one. I And, and the gas I, to get it from place to place. and Yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like they put some metrics out there around, I can't, I, I wish I could think of who did it. I felt like it was a really respectable organization. I was like, okay, well, if these guys did their math on it, like hopefully it actually is and saving resources. I get a little bit like, <clears throat> personally, I get a little worried sometimes when the sustainability conversation gets co-opted around a specific issue. Like for example, plastic straws plastic bags, single-use plastics. Should we use them? No. Duh. Okay. Yeah, obviously. Okay. But it's like all of a sudden people get really amped on sustainability about plastic straws. And the reason, like, not that that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think sometimes that detracts from the larger conversation of what's going on, which is climate change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the whenever 10 plastic straws you use, I guess it depends on the person. Maybe I don't use enough plastic straws to feel like that's really where my impact is. But let's talk about taking flights. You know, let's talk about like air, like getting car on a driving plane, or the- single car drive. Yeah. Like I'm not sure that the plastic is as much of an issue where I guess I would like to see the plastic conversation going is that, if we've created this world where plastic packaging and the use of plastic is part of how we live. um, And while we should of course be looking for alternatives, um, it would also be a really good time to start a conversation about recycling infrastructure and how it varies from municipality to municipality, how contaminated our recycling stream is, how bans on the exportation 
of recyclables is affecting what we're doing domestically um, with collecting recycling. And so like to me, the ideal solution around plastic is that I always envision this like big plastic cube, like a really big plastic cube, but that's it. Like that's our plastic budget, that cube. And so we can take off our little pieces and make straws or bags or whatever the heck we want to make with it. But when those straws and bags and other plastic goods are done, they get put back in the cube. Like it should be circular in that way. Um, I think something that I want to see in my lifetime is landfill mining. And as we open up our landfills, yeah. and all the stuff in there that we could be taking out, like all the precious metals, like, uh, I mean, that's a really cool concept yeah. that I've, mm-hmm. I've been reading about that um, a lot, some people are doing and they're finding things perfectly preserved from 50 or yeah. 100 years ago. Cause nothing breaks down in a landfill. It's like a plastic lined hole in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a big misnomer, right? Yeah. Oh, break down. Like, yeah, I know. yeah. Try composting a PLA uh, spoon in your home composter. It does not happen. <laughs> Doesn't work. You know. No. So. Uh, I was just looking up that program that you guys were talking about, the Tropicana. That so uh, Pepsi and Nestle were taking initiatives with the whole reusable container metal thing uh, with Haagen Dazs and Tropicana, mm-hmm. and it is. Associated with TerraCycle. They okay, do run cool. the website. Yeah. Cool. I was just trying to look for, I thought it had a name to it, but I can't yeah. find it because I'm trying to listen and read at the same time. And I just, apparently I can't do that very well. <laughs> but yeah, so they, it is with, they're working with TerraCycle. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and you know, these initial programs may not be perfect. They may not work a hundred percent the way we want them to as consumers, but they're trying and, and they're better than nothing. Um, at least there's companies out there that are making the effort. Um, and hopefully more will follow suit and we'll learn and we'll get better. Exactly. Like, and I, sh- I should like, I don't want to be a doom back because it's all in the right direction and everybody's heart is in the right place. Yeah. I just, I feel like sometimes, you know, the 10 steps to sustainability mindset <laughs> is like people do it and they're like, and then you hear the news report and it's like, you know, it's not working. And so there's this disconnect between what we think we're doing and what's actually happening. And the larger conversations, you know, really do come down to these thornier problems about in that intersection of, of um, regulation and sustainability and who we're putting in office and how are they advocating for what we need? Um, You know, why does recycling look different in every community in America? Mm -hmm. And like, in Canada too. Okay. Yeah. So, well, yeah. So, yeah. Every, yeah. Every, why do you not just, take this that they do? And why do I have to take my lids off hmm. here and not there? It's, yep. it's ridiculous. Yeah. Why do I have to, have to have my ecosystem for plastic bags where some have to go to Target and yeah, you know, it's just yeah. some have to get reused. Yeah. I will say um, to your point. Yeah. My, I was having a conversation with my sister the other night and she is a staunch environmentalist going to law school for environmental law. And we were talking about something and she said, you know, that's great. It's some, some action I was taking or telling her, you know, she should try. And she was like, that's great. But I don't think that um, this the environmental problem should all be pushed on the consumer. 
and I'd never really thought of it that way, but it's true because we put ourselves under so much pressure to shop, you know, zero waste and to not use straws and to do all these things and to read the packages and follow all these rules. But we really should be shifting the business, the government, the, the policies themselves, which we can actually influence as well. Yeah. Um, as citizens, we can call our elected officials. We can make our voices heard. We can write, you know, editorials and do all sorts of things. But, um, but yeah, that is a good thing to re- a reminder to everyone to kind of, you know, vote. Re- remember yeah. that. Yeah. Vote. You're, you're <laughs> doing all you can, but you should, you should also remember like, that's you're not the only one responsible for it. There are bigger things, forces at work. So it's so true. I mean, regulation forces change. Like, I mean, yes, some companies, depending on their customer base, right? Okay. If you're a company that sells to supposedly eco minded millennials, like you're interested in, you know, out of your own, like welfare, you're interested in doing things right. But, um, that's still a choice versus a regulation that's a requirement. Right. And that's when we've seen the biggest leaps, right, in environmental um, protection in the U.S., right? Your Clean Water Act, your Clean Air Act, like... The ozone layer yeah. getting fixed because we stopped using... CFCs. CFCs. Yeah. Right. So, you know, yeah, our refrigerators are no longer putting holes in the, in the ozone. So... Those are the kind of things that make these huge impacts. And I, I'm really glad you brought that up because yeah, those are, I think that's like been a conversation that's been quiet lately. And maybe it's just today's political um, landscape doesn't lend itself to those kind of conversations. But I, I hope that in the next year, um, there'll be more people in office that are open to picking up that, that torch again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got my fingers crossed for you guys. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Thanks. you. <laughs> Love from Canada. <laughs> Any other questions or comments uh, on the consumer side of circular economy or even the business side that we haven't already touched on? Um, I don't think so. I, I would just say, just go, I would, I would definitely tell people to go check out the Ellen MacArthur Foundation website. Like you can learn so much. And there's so many case studies across all sectors. Um, I feel like no matter where you are in business, um, your sector probably has an example of a circular economy program. And if it does, like Ellen MacArthur Foundation will have it. So. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I did have um, one more question that we haven't already touched on. And this is, Kind of a heavy one. So um, the circular economy basically, you know, is going to require us to overhaul our current economy as it is. It's going to require a big shift in the way businesses run, the way we shop, the way we think. Um, so what are, I mean, the benefits and challenges associated with this and kind of how can we address those things and get people on board? Yeah, I, I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> It's a big one, um, you know, and I feel like somebody who who championed this type of transition at a company where you wouldn't think there would be two, you know, blinks about it, um, I can only imagine what that conversation is like for companies that haven't been thinking about this. But in the same breath, I will also say 
Um, you know, I have, I have clients that are just beginning their sustainability journey and this type of program, a resale program, specifically in the circular economy is far more appealing to them than any other sustainability measure for two reasons. One is that even though it's taking significant resources to put the program together, it's not going to be a cost center. And secondly, because it creates a sustainability program for all product, for pretty much every product that they've ever made retroactively and going forward. So they felt like this was an excellent way to prioritize their, um, you know, sustainability to-do list was to start with a circular economy program. And so I think in that way, um, transitioning some, you know, beginning the transition uh, from just that producer seller linear economic model towards um, a service-based economic model, um, proving that it's, that it's profitable helps cushion that transition because at the end of the day, everybody in their C-suites are responsible for that bottom line, you know, and if you're going to implement something, it's pretty great to know that you're not, you're not taking away from the bottom line, you know, your, your shareholders appreciate that. So I think that really helps the conversation. And, and there's just so many examples of it now. And like I said, you can go to Ellen MacArthur foundation and pull, pull these out, you know, there's things like Xerox, yeah, Xerox copiers. They've had a leasing program for years. You don't have to own a copier anymore as a business. Mm-hmm. You can just lease one and then yeah. they'll repair it and take it back and like that. So, and most making, printers yeah. love getting the ink cartridges back and refilling mm-hmm. them. That's always been a big, um, you know, money maker, I guess, or saver for yeah those companies. Awesome. But it is, I think you're right. It's, it's a big, it's like a big cultural shock to mm-hmm. businesses to think of themselves as a provider of services if they've only been a maker of goods. Yeah. You know, and I think on that note too, like, <clears throat> I, I feel like it would be, this kind of links, or this, yeah, me with the consumer <laughs> conversation. So we're not trying yeah. to be rude. She totally dropped her phone. It's funny. <laughs> That's the kick oh, you're hearing. Everyone. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed that you've been holding your phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think like Patagonia's always offered free repairs and a lot of companies offer free repairs. But if we're truly serious about this, I think one thing that, that like the ideal sort of partnership for me is that there would be a regulation that requires companies to have a repair program you know for whatever type like okay come up with the qualifications but yeah i get not every item is repairable but or you know needs to be repaired but a lot do but we should also be willing to pay for that as consumers i think yeah you know it's, it's a service like anything else yeah and i think um capitalism is is great but it's gotten to the point where it's so rampant everyone can start a business without thinking through a lot of these concerns and it's just about making money and it's just about, you know, what thing can I offer that other people aren't offering with no consequences? I don't have to think about 
you know, the waste I produce or, or the cost, the environmental cost of things. And that really needs to be included in, um, in the business model, I think, yeah. going forward for everybody. Right. Ideally, like in the cost of goods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I just wanted to add, um, there are a lot of companies that are trying to reuse plastics and turning them into items, you know, such as clothing or shoes. And so I would just do your research um, because sometimes those products can actually leach into your skin and your body. And so I know it's not something we really touched on today, but there are health effects that are, you know, there are concerns about things like that. So just be aware of what you're putting on or in your body. Yeah. <laughs> a good point. Always a good policy. Yeah. yeah. And, and sometimes well, they I, can like microplastics can leach out of that into the water too. And that's not great yeah. either. So I just, my mom like really got into some clothing line that was like, Oh, we're reusing all these things and we're making new products. And then she found out that like, they like leach into your skin or (laughs) something so just be aware that environmental also includes health right (laughs) or like your own physical well-being and for the planet so just keep that in mind but yeah general trend or message today is like stop (laughs) buying stuff if you don't need it and if you do make sure it's like you're reusing something that already exists or if you have to buy new, just make sure it's something that lasts like a hundred years. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, good quality yeah. clothing for sure. Like, stop buying that crap from China that only lasts like one or two washes, <laughs> then it like falls <laughs> apart. So, well, and that's yeah. a great segue to next month's uh, topic, which is fast fashion, and <laughs> that's uh, that's where we'll learn all about yeah the the cheap clothing that's. Um, not only bad for the environment that doesn't hold up and it's, you know, got humane issues and all that, but, um, yeah, everything kind of ties together. Is there anything else you want to, um, mention that we haven't already, Nelly? I don't think so. It's been really fun chat. Nelly, I think we have a new business idea for you. Oh yeah. Yeah. You need to make an Angie list for. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But okay. you'll call it the Nelly list. Nelly's okay, so I actually, I'm going to put a business out there for people, for your listeners. Somebody can take this idea. I have no, I have no <laughs> rights to it. Have you done, have you, I don't know if you guys do Christmas trees. You, mm-hmm. The Christmas tree thing. So that's not like, real trees or, or plastic trees, you mean? Well, fake. now that is the question. That's a whole other, yeah, that's a whole other thing I know that lately so, is a hot topic. We almost didn't have a Christmas tree this year because my husband and I debated so long about the Christmas tree. <laughs> I grew up next to a Christmas tree farm. It's like just down the street. So I've been a live Christmas tree person forever. His qualm was that, yeah, they're beautiful, but like you have to water them and then they shed a bunch of okay. needles everywhere. And like, I don't want to deal with this mess. And I was like, agreed. We already have plenty of responsibilities. I get it. But I don't want a plastic tree. I don't like I'm not a pro plastic person just to be clear on that just yeah but I'm sure somebody could misconstrue what I said earlier so I do not want a plastic Christmas tree (sighs) (laughs) so then he found research that real Christmas trees um well and obviously I knew they'd have water but I didn't realize that sometimes they're sprayed with colorants oh they can come in your house with 
pesticides. Oh, I which, didn't know Okay, that. yeah, I guess that does make sense, right? I mean, your vegetables and fruit can come in your house with pesticides, so you have to wash those. But this is like this really big, you know, Christmas tree in the house. So I was like, okay, like maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm coming around and saying, okay, well, what are the, then I started looking at what the, pla- what types of plastics are available in Christmas trees. And um, they're mostly PVC, which is like, no, 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 not buying a PVC Christmas tree because those are off gas and they're full of phthalates that are um, to make them soft, you know, and those are endocrine deceptors. So getting to your point about, you know, the things that come in your body, like I don't want to fill my house with an endocrine disruptor that's going to off gas for the next decade. Oh, and they off gas more as they get older because they break down more. I'm like, this is really bad. So found (laughs) two sources of polyethylene trees, PET trees that are technically recyclable and don't off gas. And Ikea um, was sold out Mm. by the time the debate, we had raged (laughs) this debate this long. (laughs) Um, But we did find one. um, And this kind of gets their point about consumerism. We had to call Balsam Hill three times and find a customer service person and figure out on their website, doing all these sort of like manipulations on product sorting. But they did end up having about, I think a choice of about eight trees that were, 100% 100% PET. And all this has led to me, led me to the point that somebody should just rent PET Christmas trees to everybody. Cause now I have to store this freaking tree for the next 11 <laughs> months. And so I can have apparently the most eco-friendly Christmas tree. So I, I actually was going through this debate myself a couple years ago, and I told myself, well, my tree was given to me used. It's plastic, but it's fake, but it was used, so I'm already doing good there. Yeah. But um, and, and I've never been a real tree person because to me there's the maintenance, there's the getting it there. I, I can't deal with all that by myself. And then um, – By I'm the way, 80% of, of America uses a plastic – uses it. Okay. So you're in the majority here. Like, but I'm thinking of it too. It's like we're killing a tree, so that's not good either. And and it's it's a renewable resource, but we're constantly growing and killing, right? So we're so in my mind I was like, okay, I'm doing the best thing and then I see all the research about the chemicals used to produce these trees and the paint and the So I was like, I I can't not have a Christmas tree. I'm just going to use this one until it dies because of course that's the best thing to do at this point, right. but I'm gr- I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't realize the PET trees versus the PVC and yeah I didn't know yeah. I didn't know about that either. It's hard to find the PET yeah. trees. They are out there, and I really think the business is maybe it's just sourcing trees. Like mm-hmm. you could also I found one website that listed Christmas tree farms that were either I don't think there's there's not a USDA organic certification specifically for Christmas trees, um so you kind of have to re- like rely on what the farm is claiming, but there were, there was a farm in Oregon that um, shipped trees to a lot in the San Fernando Valley. And I was seriously contemplating driving like an hour and a half to get a real tree that was, (laughs) uh, you know, like grown on some permaculture farm in Oregon. But instead a PE tree was shipped to my door. So Interesting. See, this this could be your green life hack right here. You just help so many people figure out Christmas. Next there it year. is. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. The green life hack. Okay, there it is. There it is. Buy buy a PET Christmas tree. Literally next green. Next time you have to buy buy a tree. Yeah. Buy a PET Christmas tree. The great yes. Christmas tree debate has been solved. Oh, the great Christmas tree debate of 2019. It will go yeah. down in family infamy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. How far or how far before Christmas did you end up getting this treat, by the way? Uh, like maybe a week. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's still <laughs> up. It's, it's going down this weekend. Yeah, but, mine is yeah. still up, too. So it, it'll They're be up pretty. Yeah, yeah I love it. The, the needles aren't falling on the floor and I don't have to water it. So no harm, no foul. Which can be tricky, but yeah. All right. Well, one day you guys probably have really nice real Christmas trees, though. Well, I was talking to uh, somebody. What was it a couple of weeks ago? So I work at a retail store. It's my sister-in-law's store. And she is adamant about real Christmas trees. She's got one in her home. It's a tradition with her kids. They go out every year. They pick out this Christmas tree. So she brought one in to the store. And because of the heating source we have, it's very, very dry. And no matter how much we water that stupid thing, the moment you touched it, it just rained needles. So by the time Christmas Eve rolled around... It was dead. It was just dead. And we were starting to take ornaments on. I took a picture. My poor mother-in-law was just covered in needles taking. And there was no needles left by the time. It was a Charlie Brown tree. It was the saddest thing. And I was talking to a customer. And they had stopped buying real Christmas trees. Because the last two or three that they'd gotten. When they opened them up to let them relax. They had spiders in them. Oh, So she's like, no, we have a fake tree. She's just like, that was too much. And then my husband it's not, I, I don't even have a debate. I don't even get a chance because he like, shuts me down. It's like, don't plastic treat. Let's go pre-lit three, three sections. That's it. It's done. Like, I don't, it's not even an argument that we can have because it's like one of those. The pre-lit thing is really nice too. It's it's nice. So it is. It's nice. I had no idea. It's pretty sweet. It's yeah. great. It's just, he, there's, there's no debate. It's just like, no, no, this is what we're doing. We can debate everything else. Whoa, everything for this no one same. thing. We're getting a plastic tree. I'm like, okay. But now that I know about the PET ones, then, then I could sell them on that. So next time. Yeah. yeah. I would I'm, say from what I've read, after about n- nine to 10 years, if they have PVC, it really can start to degrade. So mm-hmm. yeah, this one isn't that old, but we had one for my grandparents. That was, he cursed every single year because it was, I'm pretty sure it was from the 70s or the 80s. But the metal things that it was, a ch- he'd get scrap- scratched and scraped and he scraped. <laughs> entire time and it came like 80 different pieces and so oh god yeah it was too much for him so that one got chucked and we bought like one sale from walmart for like 60 bucks so thanks for letting me know about my carcinogenic tree that i've been living with for 16 (laughs) years i'm really sorry about that (laughs) no it's fine i I already knew everybody's gonna go pitch pvc trees i don't know man give them to your local theater they can use them for Hey, there you go. Yeah, that's that's what I tell myself. When mine eventually goes, I'm going to donate it to the theater because they always need props and stuff. That's a great idea because nobody's like around them 24 hours a day like you are in your house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. That's a good point. Well, we digress. (laughs) (laughs) There's no other uh, questions or comments on the circular economy. Um, Nellie, do you have any other resources that you would share with our listeners? You've shared a lot already, but any other places they can go, books they can read, documentaries um, to get more information? Um, yeah, Ellen MacArthur Foundation, TerraCycle for all your really tough to recycle stuff, um, Yertle Recommerce if you want direct brand uh, resale programs or the renewal workshop. Um, I'm just like kind of summing them up. I think they go 
Um, documentaries, The True Cost came out a few years ago. That'll probably parlay into your next episode around fast fashion. But that that was a good one. Um, yeah, I think those those are my top resources. Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, where can we find you online if anyone wants to connect with you or just learn more about what you do? Yeah, I am on LinkedIn, Nellie Cohen, um, N-E-L-L-I-E, um, C-O-H-E-N. And my website is workwithbaylene.com. You can find me there. And uh, my Instagram is workwithbaylene as well. So, yeah, always LinkedIn. I'm always I'm on LinkedIn pretty regularly. That's a good way to reach me if you're already on that platform. Baylene also has a, a page on LinkedIn, too. So, would love to hear from folks. Awesome. And Jen, where can we find you online, if anywhere? Uh, <laughs> you can exclusively reach me at this location here. Sustainably, Sustainably geeky. geeky. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Chris, how about you? I see that you're back on the... So... Is it, is it public, story. though? Fun Instagram? story about that. So I deleted Instagram because this is sort of what I do sometimes. I yeah, delete things. I go through phases like any wonderfully creative person. And I decided I'm like, I miss it. I'll get back on. I got on. I posted two pictures. Instagram said, you're a bot. We're disabling your account. So <laughs> I'm, waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting to be a pe- I've I've done the appeal. I took my picture with the paper my name and everything with both hands and so i'm waiting it's been almost were pictures of you and ray like what oh yeah like and it's a the uh the profile picture is of me and my husband so yeah. is it because uh, you canceled it so many times that they're like oh, somebody hacked your account somebody like this girl's not real uh i have no idea I, they if they think i'm a bot i'm i mean i guess i understand they're trying to be thorough they're trying to crack down on those bots and stuff like that but so when it comes back up I am on Instagram now. It is a private account, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's called the Burrow Life because I'm a giant Molly Weasley fan. So that's what it is. So when it's up, you can reach me there. And then I'm here at Sustainably Geeky, Marginally Geeky, which we are doing uh, a show tomorrow, which I'm super excited on Dennis E. Taylor's books because we're interviewing him next week. And then Epically Geeky and... We're doing a new show too soon. I know. I know. Eugene's nuts. I know because he's got (laughs) not a million things that he's got to do. So that's going to start, I think, this month. It's called Creatively Geeky for creative people. And very original with our names. I know. We've got a thing about it. We have a. It's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) I'm digging it. That's that's it. Well, awesome. Um, you can find me here at Sustainably Geeky, Epically Geeky, and Marginally Geeky when I have read the books, um, uh-huh, just not yeah. lately, uh, <laughs> and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Het's Gonna Be Me. Um, and I just realized we, we did this out of order. We normally do this part at the end and do our green life hacks first. So let's do our green life hacks. I guess, Nellie, I don't know if that's what you actually wanted to talk about, um, but <laughs> if you had something else, you're welcome to throw that in as well. I, I think the Christmas tree is my my latest. <laughs> yeah, latest that was discovery. a pretty good one. Good one. Yeah, good so, one. So, yeah. Oh, awesome. So yeah, uh, source your trees sustainably, or get a pet tree if you can't. If you're if you're gonna go for the uh, the plastic one. 
Uh, Jen, what's your green life hack for the month? Um, I guess I made like a New Year's resolution to um, stop buying paper towels. Nice. <laughs> I know that that's like not a green life hack necessarily, but it was just that's one of those thing. like last last kind of items that I like really had a hard time getting rid of because my dog and my cat throw up a lot and I just didn't want to have to Aww. wash it and deal with it. So what are you going to yeah. use instead? Um, I have all of these like reusable microfiber just washcloths and stuff. So I just bought some, um, some rags that'll just be, be used instead. But um, and shirts then, for the really gross stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that you don't want to touch. I think so. That was part of it too. It was like making sure when you buy those things, like it was, it had like recycled content in it. And so if you're buying things that show in general, it could be like computer paper or whatever. If you can see those um, percentage of re- recycled content on the packaging, then you're helping with the circular economy process. So mm-hmm. that's my dream life hack. <laughs> awesome. Chris, what's yours? So I will say about the paper towel thing, the bit of the gastro flu swept through my house over Christmas and I was like, I wish I had some paper towel. Do not (laughs) want to wash this at all. So a bunch of towels got thrown in the garbage because I'm like, I can't just, this is not. Soak it in gasoline. Yeah. (laughs) Just light it on fire. I can't. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I was like, this is the, it's the flu. I can't. I'm not even going to. So mine is. This is a little bag and uh, I keep it in my purse. I have two and I always have them with me. So if things happen or whatever, it turns into a, this is a baby, but anyway, um, it's a bag and it's great. I put a lot of stuff in here, spontaneous stuff with the kids and life in general. And my in-laws are always trying to give me stuff and left, you know, like when you're at your, parents for dinner and they gave you 18 different mar- empty margarine containers full of food you know it's a good thing to <laughs> carry it home in and, and it's a running joke that I hate plastic so my mother-in-law's like I know it's in plastic I'm sorry like, it's okay so I'll it's give reusable. it back to you it's reusable <laughs> I'll give it back but I always have two of these in my purse at all times smart and they're teeny tiny and they don't weigh anything and I know they're probably a plastic variant but this they've lasted me like I have one that's five or six years old so they get they get a lot of use it's almost every day it's awesome good little quick thing well mine is um something we've kind of talked about throughout the show and it's just uh I encourage our listeners to go to TerraCycle and sign up for at least one brigade. And the brigades are basically items that you can collect and and send in. They will send you a prepaid mailing envelope for most of them. Um, There are certain things that if you want to collect in bulk, you can order a box and you have to pay for that. Um, But it's really great because the companies a lot of times sponsor the shipping. So you don't have to pay you just have to order the label and then send it back. Um, but I currently am collecting contact lenses and the foil packs that they come in. They, they take those. A lot of your eye doctors may take them too. Um, beauty products, which come in some weird packaging. And I'm, I've got a lot that I'm still trying to use up before I transition to like homemade or zero waste stuff. So um, that's been really great. And a lot of those containers, you know, are that weird plastic squishy stuff or the, 
you know, just the mixed material stuff that's not easy to recycle. Um, and then I also have collect, I've signed up for like the Febreze spray bottles because we use those at work. So when I get a few of those and then Verta water filters. So these things that like you may use a lot and not really know how to dispose of them responsibly or because they're made of weird materials. Um, but go on there and if, if your kids eat a certain kind of snack or if you like shopping for a certain kind of product, um, they may just have the packaging for that available at TerraCycle. It's a great program. And I encourage everyone to try to do at least one if you can. And start it at work and school and wherever else. So, <laughs> um, With that, uh, we've already gone over where you can find us online. But you can find the show on Facebook at Sustainably Geeky, um, Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, on all of the regular podcasting sites. Um, so we are on YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Pandora and Spotify. Um, please subscribe to us if you haven't already. Give us a five-star rating or whatever their system is. Um, share us with your friends. And if you have ideas for topics or you're interested in maybe talking about something yourself, shoot us a message and we will, we'd love to hear what you have to say. So thank you for listening and everyone have a great rest of your day. This has been a presentation of the Epically Geeky Network. 